Earlier this week, I was away, actually, at um, a leadership uh, residential in Leicestershire, and uh, a person, one of the people there was one Mike Barton, and he sends his love to whoever in the congregation is happy to receive it. So <laughs> I said I would do that, and uh, his greetings come from, Le- from Leicestershire, but also from uh, de- deepest, darkest Lancashire, where he now is. And it's great to be with you. Thank you for having me. Uh, And it's interesting to be here at this juncture in your church's life as you embark upon a vacancy. And uh, there are times of mixed emotions, great sadness as the loss of Philip and Annabelle. Um, But but as you go on, growing excitement about who is to come. I know when I left Guildford, the sadness lasted about a fortnight, and then they got really excited about who they were going to get. Um, It won't be quite like that here, I'm sure. So it's good to be here. And uh, you've given me a very interesting passage uh, in 1 John. 1 John is, um, at one level, it's a very uh, simple book. God is love. God is light. God is spirit. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. He who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son does not have life. What do you not understand about that sentence? And yet, from another angle, it it is quite complex. Because John, uh, the Apostle John is... Suppose I'm supposed to stand on the top step, aren't I? The Apostle John um, (laughs) is writing at the end of the first century, as you know, uh, probably from Ephesus, to a group of house churches in Asia Minor who have been infiltrated by heresy... And he's very, very anxious that they should be sure about Jesus and sure of their faith. Uh, And therefore, the arguments are quite circular as he keeps coming back to these tests by which, you know all this, you've sat under 1 John uh, for the last few weeks. Um, But but being sure is quite an interesting uh, thing, really, more complex than we think. Uh, George Bernard Shaw, uh, in the early days of radio... um, Uh, was giving a lecture on the peculiarities of the English language. And he said at one point, there are only two words in English um, which begin with the sh sound, S-H, but but are not spelt that way. And uh, he got a letter from a lady who said, I don't agree with you. Uh, There's only one word like that. It is the word sugar. And she got a one-sentence reply from George Bernard Shaw... Madam, are you sure? (laughs) So, um, being sure is quite complex, and uh, the Apostle John knew that, and so he wrote to assure them. Now, uh, there's no problem about what today's passage is about. Uh, The word love is used about 43 times in the whole epistle, and it comes 17 times, no, 27 times, in these 15 verses, either as a noun or or a verb. So we are agreed on what the passage is about. It is about love. Um, What I want to do is just to try to, first of all, to do two things, really. First of all, to try to unfold the argument in this very complex passage. It won't take a moment. And then I want to talk about the implications of that Three things, really. First of all, um, John begins from the premise that Jesus is the Messiah, 
that he is the Son of God and that he has come to reveal the heart and character of God the Father, which is love. And moreover, that that love is seen most clearly in the cross of Jesus Christ, where he died that we might be forgiven, and God's love is poured out in Christ. That's the first step. The second step is that that love of the Father and the Son is then poured into the hearts of all those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And that is by the work of the Spirit. So we're already into the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and Paul says it in Romans 5, verse 5, uh, the love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit which he has given us. So uh, God is love revealed in the cross. That love is poured into the uh, hearts of uh, believers, the church, by the, by the Holy Spirit. And third step, the love of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, which is poured from the Godhead into the church, is then poured by the church into the world. So if the world says, what is God like? We say to people, Look at Jesus. And if people further say, well, what is Jesus like? Here's the scary thing. We say, look at the church. Look at Holy Trinity Claygate, and you'll see what the love of God is really like. Now, there's much more to it, and it is much more complex, I suppose. But just unfolding these verses, that is how it comes out from God the Father to the Son to the Holy Spirit to the church and to the world. Now, what are the implications of this? I want to suggest that there are three, three questions. And the first question is, what does the love of God look like as it is embodied in the local church? There's a very... Uh, verse 17 is extremely scary of 1 John 4. You may like uh, to turn to it or just listen. But John says, um, in this way love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like Jesus. In this world, we are like Jesus. Okay, are you happy with that? So, uh, the first question is, what does the love of God look like in the local church? Well, it looks like Jesus. It is not, first of all, an idea. It is not a manifesto. It is not an emotion. It is not, first of all, a message. It is a way of life. It is how we live. And just as the love of God was embodied in flesh and blood in Jesus Christ, so the love of God is embodied in the church in the way that we, flesh and blood, actively, practically live. It comes out like this. Our love for the world outside means that we will be a congregation of generous hospitality. 
That is the first evidence that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We will be people of generous hospitality in terms of those who do not yet know Christ. And hospitality is more than good coffee, which of course you have in Claygate. And it's more than, um, it's more than uh, you're very welcome this morning, how are you, I'm fine, all right, and all that sort of stuff that comes out. It, it is an embodied way of life in which we open our lives, our hearts, our homes, our gifts to those who do not yet know Christ. Uh, one writer has talked about uh, the church in terms of uh, boundaries and core. And he says the local church must never patrol the boundaries but always warm the core. So I want to say to you, don't patrol the boundaries. I'm sure you don't, but many churches do. You're welcome here if you're a bit like us. You're welcome here if you won't cause confusion. You're welcome here if you don't ask too many difficult questions. Now, you don't do that, but churches do. Don't patrol the boundaries, but warm the core. Let anyone come from any situation, with any question, with any problem... And eventually they will be drawn into that center, that core of love at the heart of the church and be drawn to Christ. So what does love look like in the local church? It looks like generous hospitality. Secondly, it's a love which is displayed amongst us in the way that we love one another. See how these Christians love one another. So the second thing, first of all, generous hospitality, then I would say costly reconciliation. How do we know that the love of God is embodied in Holy Trinity, Claygate, HTC? By the way that we love one another. And that is not always easy to do, but the church is a precious community where people um, of very disparate backgrounds and different beliefs maybe and different understandings and different aspirations are bound together in a common bond of love. Not, not in terms of, of looking all the same or, or, or doing the same things, but just bound together despite our differences. And that is a mark of love for which we strive that anyone coming in here may see Amidst all the things that are going on, some strange alchemy of, uh, alchemy of care, which they cannot find out in the local community, because community no longer really exists out there. A Benedictine friar called um, Brother Samuel once said, there is enough anger generated by the average church bazaar to fuel an international crisis. <laughs> you know the sort of thing he's referring to. Well, you probably don't have annual church bazaars here. But, but, but that is very often the expectation of those outside of what will be the case when they come inside. And it must not be so. The third thing is, first of all, our love for the world in lives of generous hospitality, our love for one another in terms of costly reconciliation, and thirdly, our love for God himself in terms of an, the attentiveness and reality of the way we worship. And worship is a, uh, a regular thing. It happens right the way through our lives, 
but it is particularly encapsulated on a Sunday morning at, uh, at uh, 9.30 and 11.15 when God's people gather to worship God. And there is something here in doing that which is extraordinary. I, was, I came early um, this morning, uh, so I parked the car on the parade. It's rather splendid, the parade, isn't it? And, I, and there's a coffee shop there, and I, I just sat down on the pavement. And there were people there talking and smoking and reading the papers. And, and why shouldn't they? And then I thought, I'm going to do something far better than that. I'm going to gather in this ancient building with God's ancient, you know, God's, <laughs> God's contemporary people to worship the living God than which there is no better thing. So, John 4, 17 is complex. We've tried to trace it very simply. The implications are, first of all, the question, what does the love of God look like? The second question is, who, who can make this happen in the local church? Answer, the leader, well, yes. And I hope that on your profile, and it's too late if it's not on, but it better have be, that you have right at the top of it that you are looking for a person who is consumed with the love of God. You may not express it in those words. Someone of holy character. Now, you need many other things. This is Claygate, and you will need all sorts of... Um, Things and, and Philip had enormous gifts. Um, I know when he was first appointed here, he came to see me in St. Saviour's Guildford to, to glean some wisdom. And uh, I told him I could in about half an hour, and that was the end of it, really, because he knew it anyway, uh, but he was very gracious. So you will need someone of enormous giftings, but at the heart of that, I hope you're looking for someone who is a holy person. Robert Murray Machane, a great Scottish divine of the last two, two centuries ago, said, my people's greatest need is my personal holiness. So um, this love of God will be, the example of it will be set by your leader, of course. You, each one of, us, of you will follow that. But the person who makes the love of God possible is the Holy Spirit. And John refers to the Spirit here in the hearts of believers. The Spirit is the person of the Trinity who introduces us into the love of the Father and the Spirit, the, uh, Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit draws us into the magnetic field of the love of the Father and the Son. That is his job. And the Holy Spirit dwelling in your hearts will draw you inexorably into the love of the Father and the Son. And... Uh, the third thing that I want to say um, is how do we sustain this love in the local church? It's all very well to talk about it. It's all very well to do it from time to time. How is it sustained? Well, if you look in verse 16 of 1 John chapter 4, it reads, God is love, and whoever abides, which is... Uh, one very good translation, whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. And John is very fond of this word abiding and he says that in the local church as we are open to Father, Son and Holy Spirit, 
the Trinity will come and make their home in our lives and we will live in them. That, now, this is mysterious. This is overwhelming. This is astonishing. But, but just a final personal challenge to each one of us that when the love of God is poured into our hearts because we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and when that love is then poured out from our lives into a watching world, we are able to sustain that as we allow God to abide in our lives, in every part of our lives. When, when I was at... Um, a vicar in Guildford. We lived in a lovely Georgian house, actually. You only realise when you've left what you miss, really. Um, I can remember soon after I left, um, we moved to a tiny, not tiny, but a small semi-detached near Leatherhead. And I was miserable. I missed the space. And I remember one day being in the back garden with my daughter, Anna, who, like a mother, is kind but sharp. And uh, <laughs> she, she... Or sharp but kind, really. Um, and suddenly there was a great noise, Richard, in the back garden. And I was startled and I said, what's that? And Anna said, Dad, get real, it's neighbours. <laughs> so, you know, um, we missed the big house. But it was a big house. And when people came to visit, they sat in the rooms that we invited them into. They didn't wander around indiscriminately. But we had, yeah, nearly finished. Uh, but, but, <laughs> bless you. But we, uh, we had, all the rest of them are feeling like that, but they're not prepared to say so. Um, we had lodgers. And the lodgers were able to go into different rooms. They were going to the kitchen, they were going to the lounge, they, they sometimes strayed into my study, but not often. Uh, and they went into their own bedrooms, which were on occasion. But they did not go anywhere indiscriminately. They didn't go to our bedroom. Um, or they didn't go into the, the loft or whatever. And, and I just want to say to you, when the love of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit comes to abide in you, he needs to abide everywhere. And we do have the danger of saying, well, God, you can come here and here and here. You're very welcome. But actually, God, if you don't mind, this little bit over here, I will look after that. It's a bit of a private room, uh, and that's mine. God says no. If I can't, it can be very awkward, our, our Lord. He says, if I can't come there, then for the moment, I'll just wait. So if the love of God is to be shed abroad from Father and Son through the church into Claygate, your part is to allow God to abide in you. I pray that that may be possible and that uh, you may open yourself. We may together open ourselves afresh to his love this morning. For his name's sake, amen. <laughs>